Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to see you today. It's great that we have a chance to come together. This is the first Sunday of the fall season for us together. And some of you may be like, hey, it doesn't feel like fall out there today. Uh, but, but it kind of is our fall kickoff today. And, and if you're like me, um, you love fall. I love fall. You like fall? If you like fall, wave at me because I love fall. Lots of hands going up. Fall is a, is a great time of year. Uh, one of the reasons why I love fall in Norman is the same reason why Lindsay Street is a parking lot right now. Uh, I love the return of students to our, to our town. I was an OU student a number of years ago and just love the life and energy that students bring to, to Norman and uh, how exciting that is. Our, our church this morning has got college students in this room downstairs in our college life meeting right now. Just an exciting season, an exciting time of things that are going on. Um, you know, I love, I love that part of it. I love the fact that fall is the start of football season, right? Uh, yeah, there, there's a few, wow, a few whoops. Well, we got Aggies in the room. What's going on? Uh, it, is, it is exciting that this is the start of football season. If, you, if you're like me, your Saturdays are going to be organized around some games this fall. Uh, as 12 Saturdays, OU takes the field. I, I, now I'm going to have something to talk about with my friends again. Um, it's just kind of a great time, great season of the year. I love the fact that in the fall, school starts. And we have all of these uh, you know, kids going back to school. Got a, got a son that is a student over at Monroe Elementary. And uh, it's just exciting. The friendships that he's made there and the relationships our family have. Uh, back to school nights tomorrow night. It's kind of like a, a family reunion when we go to to. To, uh, to school there. It's just an exciting time and an exciting season. Um, even the weather is nice in Oklahoma in the fall. It's the one time of year we have pleasant temperatures without the tornadoes. And so it's just a, it's a great season if you like fall. And I think you know, for all of those reasons we like fall, but I think one of the other reasons why we like fall is, is if you're like me, you like beginnings of things. We like to connect, we like to get involved, but getting involved and getting connected many times involves a beginning uh, an analogy I like to use is that of a highway. You know, I-35 runs right down the middle of Norman. Um, and you can look up and you can see that highway flying by, but without an on-ramp, without a beginning, I can never get on there to go where I need to go. This was made painfully obvious to me when Main Street was shut down. That was the nearest access to I-35 for our family. And we had to go around. We, we, I could see it, but I couldn't get there. We needed a beginning. And you might be here today and, and you're, you want to begin. You want to get involved. You want to find out uh, how to begin a relationship with God or grow deeper in that relationship. You want to find out how to connect or get involved in relationships with other people or how to serve and give your life away. The fall's a great time because we can begin. And it's, a, it's the beginning of our ministry year as a church. You know, there's a sign up for Awana going on right now. There's opportunities to serve. There's eight openings for serving in Awana. You can sign up out there. There's opportunities to serve all over the church. Uh, it's just a great time of beginning, kind of like at... In, in, uh, in, in New Year's, the gym is full. In August, the church is full. Why? Because we're looking to begin. We're looking to start something together. We're looking to kick off. And that's what we're going to be doing here at Wildwood over the next three Sundays. 
this week and the next two weeks as we talk about kicking off. And we really were talking and praying about as a, as a team what, how we would begin this year. And one of the things that came up was we really wanted to have a beginning to this year, a beginning to our ministry year. We decided we wanted to focus on our mission statement as a church in these beginning three weeks of our ministry year together. And that mission statement is this, that, that while we exist to glorify God, we exist because of him and in relation to him, we exist to glorify God by connecting people to Christ. What makes us the church, what makes us the recipients of God's blessing, if you were here with us over the summers, we studied the book of Ephesians, it's all because we are in Christ. And so because the blessing of God is found in Christ, it's important for us to, to talk about Christ, to connect around Christ, and to invite others to connect with us to God through Christ. While it exists to glorify God by connecting to Christ. And there's three different kinds of activities that we can do as we connect to Christ. One of them is to connect to his worship. We can lift his name high and, and, and say that, God, you are more important than us. And, and your will, your direction is what we will follow with our lives. And we lift his name up. We do that through, through music. We do that through studying his word. We do that through responding in obedience. Uh, there's an aspect of worship and connecting to his worship. There's also the act uh, being part of community. We want to connect to community, his community. God has created us and placed us as relational beings around others so that we would encourage one another to, and spur one another on to love and good deeds. So it's important that we, we lift his name up, but also that we do so amidst community. Then a third aspect is that we would connect in, in his mission, that God has left us on this earth not just so that we would exist, but so that we would exist in serving him that we would be used by him to share his message of love and hope and encouragement with those around us, including a lost and a dying world. And so when we think about why we exist as a church, we exist to connect people to Christ, his worship, his community, and his mission. And over three weeks, we're going to look at each of those aspects. This week, we're going to begin by talking about connecting to his worship, to the, the worship of God. We're going to look at that today. And we're going to do that by looking at the book of Isaiah chapter 6, the first eight verses. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 6. It's an Old Testament book after the Psalms. Just to the right a little bit, you find the book of Isaiah. What I want us to do today is I'm going to read for us these eight verses, and then we're going to go back and kind of dive in a little deeper and, and see what these verses tell us about kicking off worship in our own lives. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts." 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. In these eight verses, we see a lot about worship and some very relevant things for us today. We're going to see three things as we look at these verses together this morning. First thing we're going to see is this. We need to recognize God's greatness. We need to recognize God's greatness. Now, we're Americans. We live in a world that talks a lot about God, but what do we think about when we think about God? A.W. Tozer said, most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. What do you think about when you think about God? Do you think about something very common or do you think about someone very great? How you answer that question responds, corresponds greatly with how you live your life and who you're depending upon for your salvation. See, worship begins by recognizing God's greatness. We see that in the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah begins this section here, and he describes the beginning of his ministry, the beginning of his role as serving as a prophet. A prophet was someone who spoke for God. God told Isaiah messages that Isaiah then passed along to the people of Judah, God's people. It was an Old Testament role, and and Isaiah served it for about 60 years, six decades, Isaiah passed along God's messages. But there was a beginning to Isaiah's ministry, and Isaiah 6 talks about that beginning. It says the beginning of his ministry was in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, that doesn't mean much to you and me, but it meant a whole lot to the people of Judah. Uzziah was the only king that many of Isaiah's listeners, readers, contemporaries had ever known. Uzziah had been king over Israel for 52 years. That's a long time. That's a generation. An entire generation of people had grown up with one king. Uzziah had reigned, and most of his reign had been fairly good. Unlike a number of other kings of his era, he certainly didn't end well, but a lot of his reign was pretty good. So Uzziah, after 52 years, dies. For 52 years, Uzziah sat in the throne, and now the throne was empty, and that was cause for some consternation among people of Judah. I mean, you can imagine. Their leader was dead. What did that mean? What was going to happen to their nation? Not only that, not only was there uncertainty on the inside, but there also was uncertainty on the outside because Assyria had a new leader who was fairly aggressive. And Assyria was knocking on the door of Judah saying, we're coming after you. They have no king. They have external enemies. People were a little uneasy when it comes to the period of time where Isaiah ministered in Isaiah chapter 6. We can relate to that. We don't have leaders that lead for 52 years. We have presidents who are on in the White House and the Oval Office for only eight. But what happens when they leave? Well, when a president rotates out, just think of the uncertainty that creates. The stock market goes crazy for a few months, right? Because of uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen with a new leader. Sometimes we get anxiety over our political officials and, and who's leading our nation, and we get a little anxious when we think about the change of that or the reality of that. Sometimes it's not related to... Uh, authorities and rulers like that. Sometimes it's, it's related to external enemies that we feel, the wars and rumors of wars, these, these difficulties in our world, the difficulties in our lives, the difficulties in our families. It's, there's times when we feel under such attack, 
Life seems so hard, it feels like nobody's on the throne. You feel like that today? You don't feel like today, that today? You, you may have felt like that earlier this year. You may have felt like that last year. You may feel like that later this year or next year, but you probably can relate to the people of Judah. There's times when we feel like there's no one on the throne. Well, it's into that context that Isaiah ministers in that context that God sets Isaiah up to minister, and he does so by giving him a vision of how great he is. God comes to Isaiah, and he picks him up, and he takes him to the very throne room of God. He takes him to heaven itself. That's where Isaiah goes to get a very clear vision of who God is. Isaiah goes his body was on the earth, his, his mind and his spirit are in the presence of God, and, and what does he see? Verse 1, he saw the Lord. Now, what, what did he really see when it says he saw the Lord? No, God the Father, if you are a student of Scripture, he's invisible, right? There's no one that sees the image of God the Father. What, who is it that he saw on the throne? That's something that might have been a mystery for us had it not been for the commentary of the New Testament. See, in, in John chapter 12, which is in there someplace, I promise if I could get there. I can only do one thing. That's why I can't play an instrument, right? I can't have this hand do one thing and this hand. I can't talk and turn pages at the same time. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 41. This is the commentary on who Isaiah saw. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Who's the His. He saw Jesus' glory, and he spoke of Jesus. Who did Isaiah see in heaven? He saw the pre-incarnate Christ 700 years before his birth. He sees him there. It's not some other God. It's, it's the God that you and I know, the God that we worship, the God that we sang about earlier today in our service. That's who Isaiah saw. And the God that he saw there, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, he was great, and he was awesome. And where was he? He was on a throne, it says in verse 1. The Lord was sitting upon a throne. The earthly throne was vacant, but the real throne had someone on it who was never going to leave. You're here today, and you feel like there's no one on the throne of your life and your world? This picture of heaven tells us otherwise. There is a throne in heaven, and the Son of God is on it high and lifted up. There's, there's no throne higher than this. This is the vision that he sees. And he says that Jesus sitting on the throne, the glory of God that he saw there, high and lifted up, there was a train that filled the entire heavenly temple. The train, the, the, the robe, the garment that Jesus was wearing, it filled everything around him. It was, it was awesome. It was great. It was mighty what he was seeing. Think about this. In the Old Testament, they carried around the Ark of the Covenant before Indiana Jones found that it was either in the tabernacle or the temple. And, and this, this Ark that was there had these two angels on top of it, and the, the understanding was that the glory of God resided above that. It was a very small area in one room. But the vision that Isaiah sees is that God is actually much bigger than his glory can, being confined to one little space. His, tr his train or his robe fills not just an, an earthly room, but it fills a heavenly room, which is pretty big. His train or his robe, it filled the space. This was a great view of God himself. 
Above him, it said, stood seraphim. Who are the seraphim? Seraphim is, is, is a word that is an angelic being who is burning. That's the idea. It's a burning one. We don't know if that meant just that they were glowing or that they were literally on fire. But he sees these angelic beings. We don't know how many of them, but they were pretty impressive. They were above the throne. They were flying around. It said they had wings that covered their head. That's a symbol of their submission or their humility. Wings covering their feet. Indication of their obedience. I'll go wherever you want me to, God. Wings that were carrying them about. They were willing to do whatever God needed whenever he needed it. These seraphim are, are in the presence of God. Can you imagine this scene? God himself, his glory, angels flying around, burning hot. This is what he sees. What are those angels doing? They're singing. They're calling out back and forth to one another. What are they singing? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He didn't say holy one time, he said it three times. In other words, this is the holiest of holies. The most amazing, the most awesome thing. These angels can't stop saying that back and forth because they're in the presence of someone unlike any other. What does it mean to be holy? I think Ray Ortland describes holiness well. This is what Ray Ortland said about holiness. He says, his holiness is simply his godness in all his attributes, works, and ways. He is not like us, only bigger and nicer. Sometimes that's what we think about God, right? God, you're just bigger and nicer than us. You're, you're kind of like me, only nicer. No, he says, when we say that God is holy, it's not saying he's just a bigger, nicer version of us. He's something totally different. He's in a different category altogether. He's holy. In the presence of God, the only thing that an angel who is burning on fire can say is, you are other, you are other, you are other. You are awesome, you are mighty, you are perfect. His purity is, is a part of that. His transcendence is a part of that. But his holiness, his godness, is all that captures the attention of these angels. And it certainly caught the attention of Isaiah. It was so impressive, the scene. They were singing so loudly and calling out so loudly. The foundations of this room in heaven were shaking. And it says the room filled with smoke. Incidentally, if you ever wanted to make an argument for why churches should have smoke machines on their stage, here it is. I'm kidding. I don't think that was the idea at all. Um, you have flaming beings. Were they putting off smoke? We don't know. Uh, there's, a, there's an altar in heaven we're going to see in just a moment. Perhaps that's creating some smoke. Later in the book of Revelation, we, we see that, that, that heaven is full of incense, which is representative of the prayers of, of you and I in the presence of God. We don't know exactly what that was, but it was a pretty impressive scene, right? God was great. In Isaiah's, the beginning of his, of his ministry, the beginning of his life began with an acknowledgement of the greatness of God. You don't know what your, your thought is about God today. I don't know how you view God. You know, our, our world wants us to view God as average. Our world wants us to view God as one of us. That's the culture that we're around. Um, you know, I, I, I've got a, a seven-year-old son, which means that this summer I got to watch many times the DVD of Lego Movie. And uh, one, of the, one of the key songs in Lego Movie is Everything is Awesome. You know, we live in a world that wants to make everything awesome. We call about everything being awesome, right? But you know what? If everything awesome, nothing is awesome, nothing is awesome. But the God that we know, the God of Isaiah 6, Jesus Christ, he is truly awesome, when you see a vision for who God is, it just causes you to go, you are awesome, you are other. 
That's the same God that we know, the same God that we worship. We have the opportunity to connect to someone so different than us, so much more powerful than us, who is residing on a throne and presiding over this universe today, tomorrow, and forever. And you and I have the opportunity to recognize God's greatness. We need to read Isaiah 6 because we need to remember that this is who God is. We live in a world, I mean, even some of the worship songs that are written today, they talk about Jesus as my girlfriend is what it sounds like. We want to reduce our spirituality to some kind of sappy sentiment, but at the center of the universe is not just an emotion or a sentiment or a Hallmark card. At the center of the universe is this God who created it all, who is awesome and mighty and holy. And we have the opportunity to recognize that when we see this vision for who he really is. Now, when you see God for who he really is, what do we do? Well, the thing that we do is we immediately realize our sinfulness. It's what happens. When you see God for his holiness, when you see God for his otherness, when you see God for his godness, what happens inside of us? We go, we're not. We recognize our sin. Verses 5 to 7 tell us that. Isaiah sees this vision of God, this great God, and what does he do? First word out of his mouth is what? Woe. Woe is me. I am lost he says. He was so in the presence of God that he realized that he was not that. And all he could do is say, woe is me. And and his woe was centered in two areas. He said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, I'm a sinful man. I see the perfection of God and I realize that I'm not perfect. I see the holiness and awesomeness of God and I realize there's nothing I could ever do to impress him. Because that whole scene was pretty impressive. Sometimes we view God as really low. We think we can impress him. You see God for who he really is. How can you impress that God? Any connection we have with him must start with him because he is holy and awesome and other. He says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And furthermore, I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. In other words, there's nowhere for me to hide on this earth. I'm messed up and everybody around me is messed up too. You know, in this room right now, this is... You know, I, I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips apart from Christ. That's who we are. We're sinful people. We don't, we don't need a lot of explanation on this. You know, it's one of those broad categories. Are you a sinner? The answer is yes. And you don't need a lot of illustration of that. We're aware of that. We don't even live up to our own standards, much less God's. The problem of that is that if God is holy and we are sinful, then we're separated and all we can do is say, whoa. But God, when we say woe, God begins to act. It's interesting that God didn't say to Isaiah when he said woe, hey, why don't you go back to earth and live a really good life for a while, then come back and we'll talk. Then you'll be ready to see this. He doesn't say that. God doesn't say, okay, give me your best speech. Articulate for me the best argument you can about why it's okay for you to be standing here. He doesn't do that. Instead, when, when Isaiah acknowledges his sinfulness, when he says, woe is me, what does God do? God immediately begins to act. And we see that in that the seraphim starts moving. Those seraphim who had their, their faces covered and their feet covered, they did nothing of their own accord, nothing of their own volition. They were only doing the will of Jesus. And, and Jesus instructs them to, to get moving. And they, they pick up and they fly and they, they grab from an altar that they see there a burning coal. 
That altar would have been a symbol of sacrifice. In the earthly temple, there were places where animals were sacrificed. In heaven, it's not just a shadow like it was on earth. There was a real altar that's a symbol of the sacrifice that would ultimately be made for human sinfulness. And from that altar, a coal is picked up and heads towards Isaiah. Now think about this. You're Isaiah. You see a big creature with six wings who's on fire, picking up a burning coal and headed towards your mouth. How are you feeling about that moment, right? Is that a kind of a scary thought? Absolutely it's a scary thought. I think he was shaking in his stance as he is, is seeing this thing unfold. But the seraphim comes right up to Isaiah. In verse 7, he touched his mouth and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. In other words, what Isaiah was unqualified for, he could be validated in Christ. What Isaiah was unable to do on his own, God was able to do for him by forgiving his sin, washing it away, and making it possible for him to stand in God's presence. It began not with Isaiah living a good life and proving himself. It began not with Isaiah giving a great speech and articulating his argument. It began by Isaiah simply recognizing the greatness of God and realizing his sinfulness and saying, woe is me, my only hope is for you to act because I have nothing to offer. You see, that is the situation that Isaiah found himself in, and that's the situation that you and I find ourselves in. There's an altar in heaven with coals on it representative of the life that was offered on our behalf. The life of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross that, that Edie and Diane sang about earlier, that Jesus who died, that death that he died, there's a symbol in heaven of that death, and it, that is the way that you and I might be cleansed. When we say, woe, we are sinners, God springs into action and desires to cleanse us just as he did Isaiah, that we might be able to stay in his presence. We recognize God's greatness, and then we realize our sinfulness. If you have never in your life trusted in Christ, my prayer is that you're going to do so today. And you know what? It's, it's, a, it's a scary thing to think of trusting your eternity to someone other than yourself. It was scary for Isaiah to see the seraphim swoop in. It's scary for us to, to entrust our eternity to someone other than ourselves because we think that we can impress him, we can be good enough, we can control the outcome somehow. But when we really see God for who he is, we realize that we don't stand a chance apart from his action on our behalf. And his action is sufficient in Christ to forgive us and to make it possible for us to live with him. We're going to talk more about what that looks like in just a moment. But I want you to begin to be thinking, has there ever been a time that I've allowed Jesus to, to swoop down to me and to cleanse me with his death and with his resurrection? Recognize God's greatness. Realize our sinfulness. Third thing, reorient our lives. Reorient our lives. See, once Isaiah had a clear vision of who God was, once he 
had recognized his sinfulness and been cleansed of that sin by the work of God on his behalf, then he had Jesus not as just one part of his life. He had God and his glory as not just one part of his life, but he had God at the very center of his life. And with God at the center of his life, it reoriented everything else. And so this conversation happens where God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In other words, there's some things that I want communicated to the nation of Judah. Who's going to deliver that message? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. You see, before Isaiah ever got to the place where he was willing to say, I'll go, he had to say, whoa. The woe came before the go. He realized it wasn't about him. It wasn't what he had to offer. It was, it was the fact that his sinfulness could be covered by Christ, and he was so changed by that, that became at the center of his life, and he was so changed by Jesus that he said, I'll go wherever you want to go. I want to do whatever you want me to do, even if it's difficult. The life of a prophet was not glamorous. It was difficult. He had to go and tell people how sinful they were. That was tough. But he was willing to do it because at the center of his life, he had a different core. He had God at the center. That's the outflow of a life that has said, woe, and been cleansed. A life that says, woe, and has been cleansed, can then go and do the will of God. Over in the book of, of Romans, in chapter 12, we see a declaration of what it looks like to worship God. We're talking about kicking off worship here. The Christian life of worship, Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, in light of who God is, in light of what he's done, in light of his mercies, he has come into the center of our lives and that we would reorient our lives around him, that we would be a living sacrifice. We would do whatever he wants done. We'll follow him in all these areas, and we do that not to impress him. We do that because he has so changed our reality. When we realize that, when we recognize that, we'll follow him anywhere. We'll go from, we'll go from woe to go. That has implications for our, our life. It has implications for ministry, that we will trust him to do things through us that would seem other, impossible otherwise. We'll trust him by staying engaged in our families when we might want to uh, escape from those realities. We'll stay engaged and we'll love and we'll serve as husbands, as wives, as, as fathers, as mothers, as children obeying their parents. It revolutionizes and changes the way we relate as an employee at work, as a neighbor, as a, as a family member. All of those things change when Christ is at the center, when we go from woe to go. Now, as we kind of reflect upon this change and this reorientation of life, uh, this is a reality that has taken place in the lives of many in this room. And I would love to just take some time now and pass a microphone and have people share how God has worked in their lives, how he's changed their lives in different ways. Um, but we don't have an opportunity to do that in a room this large. But what I do want to do as we wrap up our, our time today is I want to I hear one story of how God has worked within um, the life of one person and taken him from woe to go. And uh, that is my friend Courtney Bracken. And so Courtney's going to come on up and join me up here. Uh, Courtney uh, and his wife Amy 
and Will and Olivia, their their kids. Courtney's a, an aim, uh, Courtney is a uh, works in the oil and gas business here. He's an elder here at Wildwood. Also teaches third grade Sunday school. And and you may have have uh, gotten to know Courtney in one of those roles or know his family in some way. Um, and so you may know him in this era of his life. But you know Courtney's life hasn't always been uh, following Christ. And and so I, I wanted to just first of all just welcome you up here, Courtney. And, and thank you. And uh, it's just wonderful to have you here today and us be able to have this conversation with, you know, a few hundred of our closest friends. And, and uh, uh, I, I just, just wanted to, you know, maybe you could begin just by walking us back about 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, what was at the center of your life um, about 15 years ago? Sure. Um, a real simple answer to that question is I was at the center of my life. And um, uh, I was uh, raised here in Norman. I went to Norman High. Uh, went to college after I got out of high school and then started a career in the oil and gas business. I actually came to Wildwood the first time. I mentioned this earlier uh, about 30 years ago, and uh, Bruce was a, uh, Bruce and I both weighed about 150 pounds, and uh, he was the Brucinator, if you guys remember that. Maybe some of you do. Um, and, and so that was a I lot promise, of years. we'll find a picture of the Brucinator. We need to find and, that and picture. We will, we will have I don't even know if Bruce is in here, soon. but it was, it was uh, yep. certainly a classic. Uh, nevertheless, uh, after I got my career started, uh, I had the opportunity to, to meet a lovely woman named Amy, and we were married in um, the, the late 90s. And uh, life was about me. Uh, everything that I had done to that point uh, was focused on uh, what I wanted, what I wanted to do in life, and, um, and certainly, you know, what pleased me. Uh, unfortunately, or, or maybe even fortunately, I guess, was... Uh, that right at the same time that Amy and I got married uh, was at the pinnacle of an, a drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, I was a cocaine addict, and uh, when she and I were married, I spent the first two years uh, of our marriage absolutely locked up uh, in a drug addiction. And so clearly not a good, uh, good time in, in life for me, and certainly not for her as well, because uh, we just didn't even have an opportunity to get uh, a good marriage started because of what was going on in my life, because it was all, you know, pointed towards me and about me. Yeah. So that that's where you were 15 years ago, and and yet something happened, something changed. Tell us a little bit about that that hinge, that change point in your life. So uh, I have to back up and and point back to uh, a point in in life which uh, uh, takes me back to college, and in 1989. Uh, I was at uh, Pine Cove Men's Conference and made a profession of faith uh, at that conference. Some of the men in this room were probably there. They saw me standing in front of a hundred other men weeping because I knew my life was a wreck and I didn't even know what to do with it. And unfortunately, it took me 10 years and it took uh, me getting into a horribly ugly spot in life to realize that uh, there was something else that God had designed for me, although I didn't know what it was. And um, uh, even in the midst of the horribleness of uh, a drug addiction, uh, I could see Christ, and I knew he had something for me, but I didn't know what. Uh, and through the, the love of my wife, I may get choked up. Uh. Okay, Courtney, one of the, one of the great honors that I, that I had in, in, uh, uh, in ministry was be, to be able to uh, do a, a renewal of vows with you and Amy um, on your 10-year ten ten anniversary um, just the yeah. change that had taken place yeah. in your life. And, and that was a great, a great program. Uh, so thanks for doing that, by the way. Um, 
Mark did a good job on that one. Um, uh, but, but back to, to, to the story is that, that God uh, fortunately had people in my life that cared enough about me and moreover that, that uh, saw enough in Christ as well that they gave me the opportunity or, or, or put me on a path that allowed Christ to reenter my life and get me focused back on him. And it was not until uh, I stepped away from me and focused on him that, uh, that life really started to take a shift for me. Uh, and, and over the last uh, 10 or 12 or 13 years, uh, life has certainly changed a lot for me. Uh, and it's really because of the fact that I've put Christ at the center of my life instead of me at the center of my life. I've focused on uh, his desires for me and, uh, and how I might serve others and serve him as opposed to serving myself. You know, as you as you've made that transformation, you know from from woe to to go, you got at the center of your life, uh, reorienting around Christ. Uh, what what are some of the differences that's made for you in in different venues and avenues yeah. in your life? Well, um, the, the reorientation of life is certainly you know something that happens if if uh, in a circumstances like mine. Um, but, you know, uh, from being a, able to serve in Wildwood, certainly, uh, to love my wife and um, to, to lead my family in a way that hopefully is God-honoring, uh, to, to building relationships with many of the people are, that are in this room that I never would have had relationship with before, and the opportunity to, to walk in Christ with them together is something that um, uh, the reorientation of life has, has led me to. Um, and clearly, you know, being able to serve Christ in, in how I act, how I, uh, how I respond, how I do life, uh, has been a reorientating opportunity for me. And I'm going to tell you, I don't get it right all the time, that's for sure. But, uh, but it's certainly the reality that there's joy in life despite of circumstances because of Christ is uh, what surfaced for me in the early 2000s. You know, one of the things that is is really true. If this is your one of your first Sundays here, you, you're you're relatively new here. One of the things I love about the the community at Wildwood is that Wildwood is full of lives that have been transformed by God's grace, just like Courtney's. I I, I would count my life in that number, and many others of you would. And so I'm I'm going to ask you something. It may seem a little awkward at first, but if if Christ has has transformed your life in some way, just raise your hand. Just can keep them up just for a moment. You know. This is what is so powerful, folks, is, is to think that the God who is on the throne in Isaiah 6 cares about us, and he did not exhaust his saving power uh, by working in the lives of, of Courtney or, or me or even the number of hands that were up, but he's a God who is continuing to seek and to save the lost, and he desires to work in the lives of, of, of all of us that we would come to realize uh, how great he is, and, and in light of that, our sinfulness, and, and to trust him for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, you know, it's just a, 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 an amazing thing. And so, if you are, are here today, and, you know, you, you didn't raise your hand um, for, because you have not yet uh, seen God work in, in a way, in, your, in that way in your life, I wanted to challenge you to, th- to think about the offer that God has. Think about the awesomeness of God and what he offers in terms of cleansing you and forgiving you and bringing healing and restoration to your life, that it could be oriented around someone other than ourselves because we will screw it up. Our lives can be centered around Christ 
And when they are, our life is not, doesn't have just some expiration date, which is our death on this earth, but we can be ushered into eternity to this very throne room where we would relate to God there forever. So I want you, if, if you are, are uh, uh, someone who has trusted in Christ in the past, this is a moment for us to rejoice and think about God's care and compassion for, towards us. Uh, but if you are here today and this is something that, that you, God may be impressing upon your heart this morning to trust him for the first time here today, and we'll give you an opportunity to do that in just a few moments. Um, but before we, before we go any further, before we close with a song, uh, I want to just, just pray and thank God for his work in Courtney's life and in our lives as we prepare to close our service together. Father, we just uh, thank you so much for just your great love for us. Father, it, it is so comforting to me to know that you care for the people in this room um, in such an intense way. And you care for the people not only in this room, uh, but in our community and around the world in an intense way, so much so that you would send your son to die on the cross so that we might be with you forever. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that we can worship you and, and lift you up and have you at the center of our lives, not just today and not just this morning, but for the rest of our lives on this earth and on into eternity. Father, we thank you that you offer us that in Christ. And we pray that we would just willingly lay down our lives. We would give you our hearts and we would surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.